Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Good morning. Please open up with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 20, or you can follow on the screen behind me if you want. Genesis 20. We've been going through the early chapters of the book of Genesis. We've gotten up now to chapter 20. We're going to cover the whole thing today, and uh, so we've got a lot to do. Hear God's word as I read it to you from Genesis chapter 20. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he, him not, did, he, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this, and I also kept you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. Now therefore, restore the man's wife. For he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all his servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, Surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you shall show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and mule, I'm sorry, and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you, and before all men you are cleared. Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. 
This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's just start by looking what happened. There's a lot going on. Let's just think, what's going on? Abraham decides to pick up his camp and move. He's been living uh, around a place called Hebron, which is due west of Sodom. Now, why did, why did Abraham pick up and move? We don't know exactly, but I suspect it's because of what had just happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. God had destroyed these cities, and not just a little, t- a little town, but a whole area. And, uh, you know, you don't want to live close to that, right? So he picks up and he leaves. He gets out of there and he travels down to the south. It says he journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev. That just, that's the southern part and the desert kind of in the land of Canaan. Travels down toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Now what kind of place is Gerar? Gerar is a city of the Philistines. Gerar is a pagan city. Gerar, he says, when he's talking to Abimelech, remember what he says? He says, uh, I knew that there is no fear of God in this place. It was a pagan land. It was a city governed by a pagan king, Abimelech. Now, as soon as Abraham gets to Gerar, what does he, what does he do? He says, hey, everybody, let me introduce you to my sister, right? This is my sister. Sarah, just so you know, my sister, this is my sister. And she says, yeah, that's my brother. And so Abimelech, the king of Gerar, took Sarah to be his wife. She's eligible, she's available. Um, We know that she's beautiful, even though she's old. (laughs) Sorry, it's true. You wouldn't believe how, how much the commentators go on and on about now. Why would Abimelech want her? She's old. Seriously. Well, she's beautiful. At, at least, right? We know that. And he takes him to be his wife. He takes her to be his wife. We're not talking about Sodom anymore, sorry. Now, of course, Abraham has done this before, Right? This isn't a new thing for Abraham. We know back in Genesis 20, uh, Abraham, or I'm sorry, Genesis 12, Abraham, still uh, Abram at that point, um, goes down to the land of Egypt, kind of pawns off his wife to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Same kind of situation happens. Uh, Bad things come out of that. Uh, God steps in. Now, why did Abraham do this? Why did he do this again? You know, because I, I never do the same sin twice. You know, I suspect you never do either. You know, we look at him and we judge him. What an idiot, Abraham. You, you know, you've learned, didn't you learn your lesson? This, you know what happens when you do this kind of thing. Well, this is us. We do things that are stupid and sinful over and over, the same thing over and over and over again. We do this all the time. And as we'll see in a second, Abraham is a man just like us, or we are men and women just like Abraham. The Bible calls Abraham the father of all who believe in Jesus. And that's true both in a a positive sense and a negative sense. In the positive sense, he's the father of those who have faith, yeah. 
And he's also the father of sinners who have faith. We're just like him. And so why did Abraham do this again? Why did he put his wife, his marriage in jeopardy again? Well, he tells us why he does it in verse 10. So Abimelech says to Abraham, he confronts him, why, what have you encountered? What, what, what have you come across? What situation, I mean, what were you thinking that made you want to do this? Right? And he says in verse 11, Abraham said, because I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife, and it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. You see what's going on. This is Abraham's plan. This is his arrangement with Sarah. This is... um, This is what he does everywhere that he goes as he's wandering around in all these pagan places. This isn't a one-off or a two-off, right? This is what he does. This is is his MO. He told Sarah, everywhere we go, all right, Sarah, everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. This isn't just a little sin that he kind of slipped into every now and then. This is the plan. This is a premeditated plan planned, calculated sin. Now, what happened when Abimelech believed Abraham and Sarah and took Sarah to be his wife? Okay, he just took it at face value. You said, this is your sister. Okay, well, well, I'm going to take her as my wife. What happened? Well, God shows up. God came to Abimelech in a dream. And God says, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. And still in the dream, Abimelech, you know, talks back. They start having a conversation with God. Abimelech answered back to God, Lord, will you slay a nation? Even though blameless, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God answers back and says, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. I see this. And as soon as Abimelech wakes up, he, he, he gets to work to fix this. It says in verse 8, so Abimelech arose early in the morning and called all the servants and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were greatly frightened. And then he calls Abraham, confronts him with the sin, what have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you would do this great evil to me and my people? What's going on? You've, you've, you've done to me things that ought not to be done. Right? That's what Abimelech says to Abraham. And then, of course, Abraham makes his excuses, gives his reasons. And then Abimelech makes everything right. He, he gives him back, Sarah, pays some money, tells everyone, look, I didn't touch her, she didn't touch me, so everyone knows, gives them sheep and oxen, male and female servants, gave them all back and said, now, here's my whole kingdom, here's my land, go wherever you want, but, you know, you get the impression he just wants them to go, you know. Look, you can live over here, just go. And he tells them and asks them to leave. Now, we've seen this basic story, as I said before, 
as we've been going through Genesis, all back in Genesis 12, and we see a lot of the same kinds of things. But let me, let me say, there are, there are some really helpful things here for us in, in this version, in this history of what happened. And I want to show you some things. There's much more than we could actually get to. Let me just start with this, first of all. Think about this. Sexual sin is worthy of death. Right? The sexual sin that comes to the front here in chapter 20 is adultery. And adultery is clearly a great sin worthy of death. God says in verse 3, Behold, you're a dead man. You're a dead man. You're as good as dead. You've taken a man, you've taken a woman who's married. Verse 7, God warns Abimelech, if you don't restore her, know that you shall surely die. You and all who are yours, you'll die. In verse 9, when Abimelech is confronting Abraham, he says to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you've brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? This is a great sin. This is a sin that deserves the punishment of death. Remember what God says in the New Testament in Hebrews 13, 4, marriage is to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. This is God's judgment. Adultery and all sexual sin deserves death, deserves judgment. Now think about this. This isn't, this isn't the only sexual sin that's come up so far in uh, Genesis, even just in the last couple of chapters. The last chapter we had sodomy and incest. And now here we have adultery. These are all serious, serious sins. But they're sins that we have become very comfortable with. We've become used to them. We were conditioned to accept these things as normal, as low grade, as really not that big of a deal. We don't blush. We don't tremble when we see these sins um, committed or when we see these sins portrayed or acted out for us, paraded in front of us, all around us. Just goes right. We just have no, no, you know, no thought of it at all. We just yawn. We don't give these things a second thought. Of course, that's true in our culture, but I'm really talking about us. I'm talking about the church. But here's a weird thing look at Abimelech. Abimelech is a pagan, uncircumcised Philistine king, but even he knows, he feels the weight of this. He knows how great a sin this is. When God comes to him in a dream and tells him, this woman's married, he's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. He's not like, well, who cares, right? No, he, this, is, this is serious and he knows it. He knows, a pagan knows how serious this sin is, but we, God's people with God's book, how seriously do we take sexual sins like adultery. To us, it's an affair. 
it's, uh, it's fooling around, it's cheating. You know, we've, we take away the word that brings judgment with it, just like we all know we've taken away the word sodomy because it smells like sulfur, right? It smells like judgment. Taking that away. Affair. You know, so-and-so had an affair. This pastor had an affair. And now he's just trying to move beyond it. It's no big deal. It's sad, but you know. What are you going to do? Is it a great sin to us? No, I don't think it is. So that's the first thing. Sexual sin of all sorts is a great and serious sin. Don't suck in the apathy and the evil, the callousness, the, the coldness of conscience of our culture. Don't suck that stuff in and make it your own. Now, secondly, don't make excuses for your sin. Don't try to mitigate your sin. Don't try to take the edge off your sin. Don't try to diminish the seriousness of your sin. That's exactly what Abraham does. Abimelech, verse 9, Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? You brought on me and my kingdom this great sin. What were you thinking that made you want to do this? And verse 11, Abraham said, well, because I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place. They'll kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, yada, 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 you know. And uh, it was our arrangement. Now, let's get this straight, just so everyone's clear about this. Abraham sinned. All right? Abraham sinned. He sinned. He lied. He lied by telling a part of the truth, not the whole truth, and he he told a part of the truth in order to deceive, right? This is is evil. It wasn't a white lie. It was a lie. And And he, you know, he puts his wife in a terrible position. Can you imagine being married, women? And your husband says, you know what, Psh. tell him you're my, wife, you're my sister, knowing full well what that's going to mean, knowing full well what it meant back in Egypt. We don't know if this happened more times than this. He said, wherever we go, this is what we're going to do. Maybe it happened more times. Knowing full well, putting your wife in a terrible position. He destroyed the emotional safety of his wife. Can you imagine, ladies, wives, can you imagine what would this do to you and your your connection with your husband, right? He's willing to pawn me off as his sister? Really? He risks his his wife's purity and safety. Who knows what's going to happen to her? Um right? There are certain things you should expect are going to happen to her if she becomes another man's wife, right? But who knows what else? He required her to sin for the sake of his own safety, right? Say to everyone, wherever we go, he's my brother. Say to everyone, lie lie for me. Now, by the way, 
what should what should Sarah have done? What should Sarah have done? Hmm? She should have said no. No, no, Lord, <laughs> right? You know, Sarah's held up to us as a woman who honors her husband rightly by calling him Lord. It's in the Bible. If you haven't found that, it's there. And it's right, obviously. But she was not honoring him by sinning for him. Certainly not honoring God. Certainly not honoring their marriage. She should have said, no, Abraham, that's not true. I'm not your sister. Not in the way that you want them to think. You're not telling the truth. You're asking me to lie. God will take care of us. God will take care of you, Abraham. You don't have to lie, and you don't have to make me lie, and I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. Would that have been honoring her husband? Absolutely. Right? We don't, we don't honor our husbands by sinning for them. Okay? So wives, you hear me? Okay. So Abraham puts his marriage at risk. He puts his wife at risk. And Abraham literally put a whole kingdom at risk of, of, of receiving God's wrath. Remember, God came to Abimelech and said, Abimelech, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you've taken. For she's married. God said, if you don't restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Abimelech knows how serious this is. When he's talking to God in the dream, he says, Lord, will you slay a nation? Not just me, but a nation. Not just Abimelech, but the nation, the whole people that he represents, that he's the head of, is in danger of receiving God's wrath for this sin, Abraham's sin. Abraham's sin would have cataclysmic effects on all kinds of people. There's no way Abraham could say, you know, no one will get hurt because of this sin. This is one of those sins that, you know, it's a little white, it's just a low-grade thing. There's no, there's no danger here. There's no real victims here. They're not going to know. No big deal. What? What's going to happen from this? No. A king and all his people were on the brink of destruction because of Abraham's sin, let alone his wife. So let that sink in for a minute. Our sins, all of our sins, even things that we would call little or private All of our sins affect other people. We can't hide them behind a firewall. You know, we can't stick them over here and isolate them. That's how sin works. Sin spreads like cancer. It has tentacles that keep going and going and going and going and ripples that keep going and going. It's like, a, it's like a gas that seeps in through all the cracks. It just goes everywhere. It's like Adam's sin. Adam's sin that comes down to all who are 
under him. Our sin comes down to all who are under us, all who are connected to us. You husbands and fathers especially, and pastors especially, take note of this. As you represent people, you stand as the head of people, like Abimelech did his nation. Your sin will affect all those who are connected to you. And so Abraham really sinned. And his sin really hurt people. And look at all the ways that he tries to whitewash it, <clears throat> to cover it over, to smooth it over, to mitigate it, to make it less serious. He says, well, I, I, thought, I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. I mean, that's a rational thought. Yeah, they'll see my wife, they'll, say, they'll see that she's beautiful and they'll want her and the only way to get her is to kill me. So, and, I, and they can't kill me because if they kill me and I'm supposed to be the father of many nations and if I die, well then, you know. So, I mean, let her be, you know, but me, no, because I'm the father of many nations, and I, nothing can happen to me. So that makes sense, right? That makes sense. Besides, he says, <clears throat> she actually is my sister. You know? Now, we don't, there's, there's two things this can mean. It could mean literally like a half-sister, right? Um, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. Uh, the way these words are used in Hebrew, it could mean that not. It could mean more like cousin. You know, either way, in one sense, in a way that they would have understood, there's truth to this. She really is my sister. Wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, I'm not telling you that she's my wife, but yeah, she's my sister. She really is my sister. I wasn't really lying to you when I said she's my sister. Shading, shaving, twisting, spinning right, the truth, with the purpose of deceiving. Then he says, and it came about when, when what? It came about when God caused me to wander. You know, I mean, this is, I'm in a bad situation. I didn't, I didn't put myself in this situation. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, God put me in this situation, so he must bear some of the blame for this. It's like, like, like Adam, right? The woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, God made me wander. I think you have to hear that in here. Did any of that lessen Abraham's sin? Did it cover it over? Did it make it better? Did it make it less? No. In fact, I would say it made it worse. I would say it actually made it worse. What do we learn about Abraham? What do we learn about Abraham? You open up Abraham and look inside, right? What, what do we learn about Abraham from Abraham's excuses? Well, we learn that he is a faithless coward who loves himself more than he loves his wife or his neighbor. He is a faithless coward who loves his, wife, his own self more than he loves his wife 
or his neighbor. He's willing to sacrifice his wife. He's willing to sacrifice Abimelech and his people. He's willing to, in one sense, sacrifice his own future as the father of the Messiah. He's, He's certainly willing to sacrifice the glory and the honor of God himself. Abraham is not an honest sinner. Abraham is a weaselly sinner. He's calculated about it, but he's trying to hide it. This is a premeditated sin, remember. This is calculated. All these calculations that he has to go through before he actually gets to the sin, right? All the calculations, all the premeditation that he has to go through aggravate his guilt. It doesn't mitigate it. It makes the sin greater, not less. Such a terrible man. You and I are Abraham, right? You and I are Abraham. If you're a believer, Abraham is your father. This is us. This is what we do. Don't, don't you dare rise up in your wrapped in the you know, glorious robes of your purity and your righteousness and, and look down on Abraham, such a sorry excuse for a man who would put his wife in that, such a sorry excuse for a Christian who would be faithless about God's ability to take care of him. Don't you dare do that. This is us. This is me. This is you. And you know it. We've all done this. We all do this. We are weaselly sinners, just like Abraham. We are very good at excusing ourselves, justifying ourselves, covering ourselves, even with serious sins, especially with serious sins, right? If you had a problem with Lot, remember Lot, last chapter, last couple of chapters, if you had a problem with Lot being called righteous, in spite of what he did, are you going to have a problem with Abraham being called the father of all who believe, being held up as the great father, the great patriarch, of us. So let's confess together like father, like son, right? Like father, like daughter. We're just like Abraham. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. This is, this is telling us about ourselves. Don't just learn about Abraham here. Learn about yourself. See your own weaseliness in Abraham. See it. Well, that's what we learn about Abraham. That's what we learn about ourselves here. We also need to learn about God in Genesis 20. What do we learn about God? What what kind of God is he? Well, we've seen already he's holy. He judges sin. He judges the sin of adultery. Adultery violates the character of God because God is always faithful. God always keeps his covenant promises. Adultery 
flies in the face of that, violates the very character of God. God is holy. We've already seen that. What else? Well, God is righteous and just. He is righteous and just. God considers not Abraham's weaselly mitigating factor junk, but he does consider Abimelech's mitigating factors. We'll see that in just a second. And then God is kind. God is kind. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verses 3 to 7. God came to Abimelech in a dream, verse 3, dream of the night, said to him, Behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Now, God, what is God doing here? He's warning him, right? He's warning him. This is an act of mercy. This is God's holiness. You're, you're a dead man. You will die if you continue. But he's warning him. This is God's kindness and his mercy. He's warning Abimelech. And now Abimelech, it says, had not, gone, had not come near her. He hadn't touched her. He hadn't consummated this marriage, right? And he said, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And he, she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Now, obviously, this isn't Abimelech saying I'm, a sin, I'm sinlessly perfect in everything. But in this, in this thing, I didn't do it. I didn't do I didn't know. I took their word. I thought they were telling the truth. I didn't do it. And what is, how does God respond to that? God said to him in a dream, yes, I know. I know. I know that in the integrity of your heart you have done this. God is not capricious in his justice. He's not unreasonable right? He knows. He sees. He sees Abimelech's ignorance. And God says, and I also kept you from sinning against me, therefore I did not let you touch her. What, a, what, what kindness. We don't know how God did this, but God did it. He kept him from touching her. He kept him from going through with it. He, in his providence, you know, over all things, whatever happened, I don't know. Chariot got a flat tire, I, you know, I don't know. He made it so that, that he didn't go through with it. What a mercy. What a kindness. And then he says, now therefore, God says, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pay, pray for you, and you will live. He provides a way out for Abimelech. Here's how you can, you can fix this. You can make this, you can restore, you can bring restitution to this. He promises that he will live. Then he says, but if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So even in, the, in God's mercy and kindness, he continues to be holy, and he continues in his mercy and kindness to give warnings. Abimelech, if you don't listen to me, you will die. What mercy. God gives us warnings like this all the time. And then we see God's mercy at the end, a sweet little thing that we didn't really know was happening until he tells us it stops, right? Verse 17 and 18, Abraham prayed to God, God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children 
For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Do I need to tell you the obvious that we know? Children are a blessing from God's hand. In this case, childlessness is a what? It's a judgment. This is our God. He is holy. He punishes sin. He is just. He knows our weakness and our ignorance. He's not capricious and nasty and and unreasonable, to put it that way. He's just. He is kind and full of mercy. He wants us to repent. In his mercy, he warns us again and again and again. In his mercy, he's warning you. Now, again and again and again, flee from sexual immorality. That's a wonderful warning that God gives us. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. If you turn from those things, you'll find mercy. He gives us a way of escape. He warns us and he works to keep us from sinning in all kinds of ways that we probably will never know. What's true of Abimelech here surely is true of us. There's so, if God would take his hand back, right, from you, from me, what sins would we have plunged ourselves into headlong years ago? His mercy, he keeps us back from some sins. This is the true and living God. This is the God of Abraham. This is our God. He is full of holiness and justice and mercy and grace. You can trust this God. You can throw yourself on him. You can trust him with your sins. He knows them. Don't go around thinking that somehow God doesn't know your sin and that you're going to be able to hide it. He knows your sin. You can trust him with your confessions of sin. You can trust him with your weaknesses. You can trust him with your future. Unlike Abraham, right? You can trust him. You can trust him to protect you just like Abraham should have trusted God to protect him. God won't put you in a situation where the only option is sin. Abraham thought he was in a, that God had put him in a situation where the only option was sin. That's it, sin. The only, thing I, the only way out of this is sin, you know? No, he, he gives you a way out. He always gives you a way out that's righteous. And that way out might mean that you lose your head. You know? It might. Might mean you lose your job. Might mean you lose your family. But you don't have to sin. And in the loss of all of that, God is with you. God is kind. You can trust him. There's no other place for you to go, no other God to save you but him alone. Bow to him. Submit to him. Trust him. Come to him.
I was thinking of words of Scripture that would, that would sum up all these exhortations that I'm giving you and, and wrap them up in a way that is, um, is helpful, and I thought of Psalm 37. And so before we eat, elders come forward. Before we eat together, I want to read to you some of the words from Psalm 37. And think about all your fears. and your temptations, and what you need to do. Think about Abraham. Do not fret because of evildoers. Do not be envious toward wrongdoers. For they will, quickly, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness like a, like a garden, you know, fertilize it, water it. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more, and you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Transgressors will be altogether destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So take refuge in him. Run to him. Give up your plotting and scheming and covering. Your excusing. And come and lay yourself bare before him.